The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, as we get started together this morning, I want you to think about something that all of us have in common, and that is the propensity that exists within every single one of us to try to deal with and try to bargain with and try to negotiate with God, right? Because we've all said, okay, God, if you will, then I promise I will, right? Maybe it's the opposite of that. Maybe it's God, um, if you will, then, then I promise that I will never, all of us, Right? At some point in our lives, we've all tried to, to make a deal with God. We've all tried to negotiate God. People from every religious background, in fact, they try to negotiate with God. In fact, maybe what might surprise you to find out is that even people who do not believe in God, even people who are atheists, they will try to negotiate with God because they will say things like, right, to, to whom it may concern, right? I just want you to know that I have reached the end of my limit, right? I am at the end of my rope right now, so all of us, We've all tried to negotiate with God. We've all prayed some kind of a prayer like, God, if you will, then I will. In fact, okay, I'm going to ask you this. If you have ever prayed that kind of a prayer, if you have ever thought that kind of a thought, um, if you would just be brave, be bold, right, be honest, you are in church, raise your hand for just a moment, right? Yeah, yeah, see, most of us here, probably all of us, right? Here's the thing, here's the thing, and maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't, but anytime you negotiate with God, Regardless of your religious background, regardless of your religious upbringing, negotiating with God, trying to make a deal with God or bargain with God, it always rests on two really, really big assumptions. Assumption number one is that God, he actually knows that you exist, right? Now, this is actually a big deal, right? Because um, if you've ever negotiated with God, you actually have a whole lot more faith than maybe you, you think you do. Because if you've ever tried to negotiate with God, you believe that God knows you exist, you believe God knows your name, you believe God knows your circumstances, and you believe that God actually cares about any of that stuff. So the truth is, if you've ever negotiated with God, you actually have way more faith than you think you do, right? Because, it, because it's like, okay, you actually believe the God of the universe, that he actually heard you saying, okay, God, I don't know if you're up there. I don't know if you're paying attention to any of this. I don't know if you care about my girlfriend or my grades or my work or whatever your situation is. And so if you've ever tried to negotiate with God, you have way more faith maybe than you think you do. The second assumption is this. You actually believe that you have something that God wants, right? Because anytime you negotiate with God, right, anytime you negotiate with anybody, um, it's like, okay, I know what it is that I want from you, so let me see if maybe I have something that possibly you want. And see, here's what differentiates Jesus, and this is what differentiates the message of Jesus. Um, this is what differentiates that message from anything that you've heard of before in terms of a, a system of belief or in terms of a religion. Um, and, and the truth is, this is really, really good news. This is, in fact, why I love to talk about this subject in particular, because it stands in very, very stark contrast maybe to what you've been told growing up maybe what you've experienced growing up, even if you experienced growing up in church or being a part of church, and it's simply this, and that's the fact that God, he does not want anything from you, right? The reason why God doesn't negotiate is because God does not want something from you, that God, instead, he actually wants something for you. And that is a really, really big difference. The reason you can't negotiate with God 
The reason there's no point in trying to bargain with God is because you don't actually have anything that God needs. You don't actually have anything that God even wants. And see, when you open up the pages of the New Testament and you actually read the teachings of Jesus, what becomes incredibly clear is that following Jesus is not about getting something from God because God wants something from you. He does not want something from you, right? God is God. There is nothing that you have that he wants. Instead, God simply wants something for you. Now, if you're new to church, if you're here visiting with us today, if somebody invited you to come today because they want you to hang out and spend some time with them at the block party afterwards, that's great. The word that we use to kind of encapsulate this whole big idea in the church world is this simple word right here. It's the word grace. Right? And see, chances are you've actually experienced grace at some point in your life before because you were in a situation where maybe you ran out of gas and you were at a gas station and you didn't have any money on you and somebody there actually bought you a couple of gallons of gas. Or maybe you were going through a drive through line and by the time you got up to the window to pay for your food or your coffee or whatever, the person at the window said, hey, that car in front of you, they actually paid for your meal or they paid for your drink. Right? Every once in a while in our, in our human experience, we actually experience this idea called grace. But, but every once in a while, we actually experience this whole thing of, of I'm going to do something for you, um, right? just simply because I want to do something for you. Not because you necessarily deserve it, not because you, you've earned anything. I just want to do something for you. But this idea that shows up every once in a while in our human experience... Right? This idea is actually at the center. It is at the heart of understanding and teach, the teaching that is found within the New Testament. It is the thing that drives everything else when it comes to following Jesus or being a follower of Jesus or actually becoming a follower of Jesus. I think the best definition of grace that I've ever heard is just simply this. It's unmerited favor. Right? It's unmerited favor. Unmerited means I did absolutely nothing to deserve it. It's all about the person right, who is dispensing the grace. It's not about the person who is receiving the grace. Unmerited favor means that I am actually getting something for nothing. That if there is any cost whatsoever to be incurred, it's actually incurred by the person who is giving to me. And see, the thing that's so interesting about grace is that when someone dispenses grace, the person that receives the grace... Right? They never take the credit. When somebody gives something to you, right? when someone gives a grace gift to you, you don't walk around going, hey, am I so awesome or what? Look what that person gave to me sheerly out of their generosity. Right? You don't ever say that. The person who dispenses the grace, they always get the credit. They are always the hero. And see, this is the dynamic. This is the dynamic that actually sets the message of Jesus and Jesus' message apart from everything, perhaps, that you've experienced when it comes to God or you've thought about God in the past, even if you grew up in church or you grew up going to church. It's this idea, it's this word, grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. I'm going to do something for you just because I want to. Right? I'm not looking for something good in you. I'm actually looking for something good in me. I'm not digging down and trying to find some level of goodness in you. I'm actually digging down and looking at something that is good in me. And because of who I am, right? not because of who you are, 
but simply because of who I am, I am going to do something for you. Now, this weekend, together as a church family, we kick off a brand new season of ministry, a new um, year of ministry together, and there is a passage in Scripture that I want us to spend some time looking at together this morning because it, it explains to us the significance and the importance of this whole incredible idea of grace. It's found in the book of Ephesians, which if you take out one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you is on page 1818. Now this, uh, this book that we refer to as a, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and, and if you're familiar at all with the Bible, then you know that the Apostle Paul, when he shows up on the pages of history, um, he doesn't show up as Paul, but he actually shows up as a man named Saul who was persecuting his, the church. And Saul's goal was to actually stamp out the church and arrest all the followers of Jesus. And then Saul actually became one. In fact, he became the most famous one. He became the one that planted more churches than anybody else in his generation. And the Apostle Paul is actually in prison when he writes this letter. He's in prison. He's in Rome. It's about 65 A.D., so 30 or so years after the events of Jesus' life have taken place. And so there's still plenty of eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry and his teaching still running around all over the place, particularly in Rome, which is where the Apostle Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. And this little letter, this is not a letter like you and I would think of as a letter today. It's not a letter written to a specific person or a specific family. Um, In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a group of people that he had never met before. And so the statements that he makes to them and what he says to them are things that he could say to every single one of us today. And in this little letter, he gives to us an extraordinary understanding of the significance of the grace of God. He begins by making a little bit of a shocking statement, and he says this, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, As for you, right, as for all of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. And by dead, he meant that you are separated from God, because if you're dead, you're separated from life, right? And so what he's doing here is he's making a, a little bit of an analogy. And he's saying, as far as your relationship goes with God, you didn't have one. As is, it's as if God was dead to you. And you were actually dead to God. And then for the next couple of verses, he actually goes on and he goes into great detail to explain that how because of sin, how far removed and how separated from God each of us actually were. And then he gets in verse 4, he begins to, to pivot his discussion a little bit. And he stops talking about us and he begins to talk about God. And the interesting thing about the language in which the Apostle Paul originally wrote this letter and in the language of Greek is that in the Greek language, the way that you emphasize something, the way that you show that a certain idea or certain words are important, you don't circle them, you don't underline them, you don't put little stars next to them. What you do is you take the important words and you actually physically move them to the very beginning of the sentence. Now, in our English translations, most of them, we actually lose that emphasis in verse 4, right? But there is one English translation that keeps that emphasis. It's known as the New American Standard Version. And so we're going to put that up on the screen because the Apostle Paul, he he writes this, and and, and New American Standard is a little hard to understand. It's very literal, but it's a little cumbersome to read. But he says this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 4, he says, but God, 
Now, the reason why that's so important is because normally the way that you and I, the way that we intuitively approach God is to say this, God, I've done some bad things, but I, but I promise I'm going to do better next time. God, I know I haven't talked to you for a while, but I promise I'm going to start praying more. God, I know I've really screwed this situation up. I know I've really messed this situation up, but I promise I'm going to do better if you give me another chance. But God, I, I, but I, right? That's what we normally say when it comes to God. The Apostle Paul says, you need to understand, God has actually done something here that nobody expected. Because when you realize that you are separated from God, When you realize that you are far from God, when you realize that you have transgressed and that you have sinned against God, it is not a but I moment. The Apostle Paul says, no, it is but God. But God being rich in mercy. In other words, Paul is telling us, listen, God has so much mercy, he just has piles of extra mercy lying around all over the place. The Apostle Paul, for him to actually write these words, right, is amazing when you stop and think about it. Because the Apostle Paul realized, right, that that God actually had every reason in the world to squash him like a little bug. That God should have said to Paul, Paul, you're trying to get rid of my church and destroy my church. I'm going to destroy you. But God, right, being rich in mercy, said to the apostle, Paul, you're trying to get rid of my church. Paul, I'm going to show you how much mercy I have. I'm going to show the world how much mercy I have. Because, Paul, I'm going to actually use you to plant more churches than anybody else in the ancient world. And then we get to the sentence after this, in the same verse. That for those of you who are here today and you are questioning God, you've got questions about how God feels about you or what you've heard about God, if it's really true. For for those of you maybe who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, and especially for those of you who are trying to find your way back to God and find your way back to Jesus, this is the sentence that I wish that I could just somehow drive into your conscience, that I could just drive these next words into your heart somehow. Because the Apostle Paul, he goes on and he says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, I get it. That's kind of cumbersome in English, right? But the reason why that sentence is so incredibly important is because it actually answers the question of why. God, why in the world would you give me another chance? God, why in the world do you actually care about me after everything that that I've done? God, why in the world would you actually listen to my prayers? I mean, God, what have I done to deserve anything good from you? To which God says, it actually has nothing to do with you. It's because of his great love with which he has loved us. Because of his great love with which he has loved you. See, that's why. Right? That's why you don't have to negotiate. That's why you don't have to bargain with God. That's why you don't have to try to make a deal with God. It's because he does not want something from you. He simply wants something for you. 
Then the Apostle Paul, he continues. So we'll put this all together. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. And then it's as if the Apostle Paul said, okay, I understand that's a little bit wordy. Maybe that's a little bit complicated. Let me just get straight to the point. He says, it is by grace that you have been saved. In other words, he says, when you come to realize that you are separated from God, it's but God, not but you. When you realize that you have been separated from God, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved you, he made you alive. It is by grace that you have been saved. Now, from that point in the passage, the Apostle Paul, he continues, and he begins to change the subject a little bit on us. But by the time he comes back to verse 8, he brings his main thought, his original thought for this section of the text, he brings that back into focus and he says once again, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And then he adds something new. And he says, through faith. In other words, he says, the way that you experience God's grace, the way that God's grace actually becomes a reality for you personally, is that when you recognize, when you acknowledge that God loves you and because of that love, he sent his son Jesus to pay for your sin, that God's expression of his great love for you was sending Jesus to pay for your sin personally so that you could come out from death and into life. And Paul says when you acknowledge that and you embrace that, All of that extra grace, all of that extra mercy that God just has lying around, all of that becomes a reality for you personally because you have been saved by grace through faith. He goes on, and this, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not the trade, it's not the bargain, it's not the negotiation. It's not the, if you, then I will. See, Paul says, I want you to understand. This is the gift of God. And in case we still don't get it or believe it, he comes back and he says it another way, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a grace gift. It's a gift that you didn't earn. It's a gift that in many ways the world wasn't even expecting. And see, the Apostle Paul says to all of us today, he says, listen, I want you to understand that that because God is so rich in mercy, God didn't go looking at your character and God didn't go looking at your level of goodness. God didn't go looking at your actions. Instead, he looked at what was true about himself and he chose to do something for you that you did not deserve. So you don't need to negotiate and you don't need to bargain You just need to ask because he loves you. Now, that's the theological part, right? Here's the practical part. Because for those of you who are trying to figure out what God is really like right now, 
for those of you who are questioning God, and certainly for those of you who are trying to find your way back to God and find your way back to, to Jesus, this whole idea of grace, right? This whole idea of grace is so, so incredibly important. Because, see, if I were to ask you the question, right, what standard are you going to use to determine where it is that you actually stand with God? Is it going to be your behavior or is it going to be God's grace? The truth is, most of us were taught to believe that it had at least something to do with what it is that we did that determined where it is that we actually stood with God. And so I want to take a couple of moments and I want to talk about that idea because there are some big problems with that idea. The biggest one being that simply because of living where we live, living in the Western world, being a part of a Western culture, the truth is every single one of us, we each have just enough of of, of Christianization of our own thinking and our own thought and of the culture that we live in, that every single one of us believes and we think that we have some kind of an idea of what God may accept and what God may not accept as far as our behavior. And so if I were to actually ask you the question, hey, do you think that there are some behaviors that if you based your life on, they would actually bring you into a good standing with God? You would probably say something, well, yeah, I think that's a part of it. And then I would ask you the next question. I would say, okay, well, so you know, tell me what kind of behaviors do you think are actually acceptable to God? And what you would respond to that question with is a list of behaviors that are, in fact, biblical. And then at that point in the conversation, I would ask you two questions. The first question I would ask is to simply say this, okay, where in the world did you get that list of behaviors? To which you would either say, well, I just made them up, right, which you probably wouldn't tell me even though you did. Or, right, or you would say, well, they're found in the Bible. Okay, now here's the big point. Don't miss this. Don't ever reach for the Bible to substantiate the idea that you have behaviors that put you in a good standing with God. And certainly don't reach for the teachings of Jesus. Right? His standards are so high that every single one of us, me included, we automatically get an F. Right? We don't even have a chance. And on top of all of that, the man who wrote half of the New Testament just told us that it's by grace and not by works. And so this whole idea and our world's whole idea that we can kind of just somehow intuitively know and we can kind of intuitively just guess at what it is that God is actually looking for, right? It may in some way be a biblically informed thought, but it's a thought that is never taught in Scripture. And so consequently, right, consequently, many people are actually deceived by this. Because, see, your system of belief, it it may be biblically informed, it's just not biblically accurate, It may be based on things that you've heard from Jesus, but it's not based on the teachings of Jesus. It's based on adjectives and verbs that are found in the New Testament, but they've been taken out of the context of the New Testament. Because when we actually open up the pages of Scripture, what we discover is ain't nobody good enough, ain't nobody even close to being good enough. And so if it has anything at all to do with behavior, we are all just simply in a lot of trouble. So back to the question. What standard will you use to determine where it is that you stand with God? Right? Your behavior 
or God's grace. If it's your behavior, right? If it's your behavior, the truth is you're just going to kind of have to make up your own list with that one, right? I mean, so I guess good luck, right? I, I mean, I, I don't know. Best wishes? I don't know what to say, right? Besides, I mean, think about it this way. Think about it this way. What in the world kind of good God would actually say, okay, there are certain behaviors that if you do these behaviors, they will be and you will be acceptable to me, but I'm just not going to tell you what any of them are, right? So use your common sense, I guess. Right? I mean, what is that? You're never going to have any peace. You're never going to know. You're never going to have any certainty. The other option is God's grace. Now, the truth is, here's what most of us do, right? Most of us, what we do is we say, well, I kind of think it's a mix, right? I kind of think it's a blend between these two things, right? I think I have to be faithful and I have to be responsible, right? I have to do my part. I got to go out and vote. I got to pay my taxes. I got to take care of the environment. I got to be friendly to people, right? Make sure I don't murder anybody along the way. And then God, he kind of comes along behind me and he fills in the gaps, right? That's what most of us think. Well, it's like, where in the world did you get that idea from? See, the problem is I know the answer to that question. You got that idea from church, unfortunately. But see, Jesus, right? And the guy that Jesus actually chose to write half of the New Testament, right? And this is just a quick review, so let's say this together. Tells us this, what? It is the of God, not by so that no one can boast. That's right. That's right. See, that's what the Apostle Paul believed. That's what Peter and James and Matthew believed. That's what the people who lived with Jesus and saw Jesus and heard Jesus believed. And they also believed that's what Jesus came to demonstrate and to die for. So what standard will you use to determine where it is that you actually stand with God? What you do for you? Or what God has actually done for you? And see, here's the thing that I actually hope that you never forget, even if you forget everything else that you heard me say this morning, which you probably will, and that's okay. But see, as followers of Jesus, right, as followers of Jesus, all of the do's that you and I encounter in the pages of this book, they are simply a response to what it is that God has done for us. Do you know why as followers of Jesus we forgive? It's because God has forgiven us. Do you know why as followers of Jesus we give? It's because God gave. Do you know why we serve? It's because you and I are the ones who have been served. Do you know why it is that we're kind to each other and we're friendly to each other and, and we're nice to other people? It's because God has been so kind and so gracious to us. Do you know why we actually submit and we surrender and we put other people first? It's because at the cross, Jesus put us first. This weekend, we begin a brand new ministry together, year together as a congregation and as a group of people, and it is going to be an absolutely fantastic year. We are going to grow together in our love for God and our love for other people. 
We're going to have the chance to serve people in the name of Jesus, both here in this community and all throughout our world. We are going to get the chance to celebrate the gift of a new life coming into the lives of people in this place. We are going to do all of that together in this coming year. And in all those things, all those great things that are going to take place in this next year, what we always remember is that following Jesus has never been, and it will never be about what we do, it's always been about what has been done. Because all of our love and all of our service and all of our giving is always a response to what it is that our Heavenly Father has done for us. Because it's all in the shadow of a cross where God says, I am so rich in mercy because of my great love with which I have loved you that I went First, So you don't need to bargain with me. You don't need to negotiate with me. You just need to ask me. Because I love you. And that's grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor. This past summer, we got to learn a brand new song together that, at least for me, and I hope for you too, has also very quickly become one of my favorite songs. It's a song called Good Grace. And the reason I love to sing this song so much is because the very interesting thing about grace is that the less good you have been, the more good God's grace is for you. That the less amazing you have been, the less you deserve any of the grace that God has given to you, the more amazing God's grace actually becomes for you and in your life. And I actually think that's something that worth, that's worth singing about. It's also why some of the most gracious people you will ever meet are people who have come to understand that what it is that they've actually received from their Heavenly Father, that that is far, far better than what we deserve. And so we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to stand up, and we're going to sing together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for this beautiful day, for the beginning of this new ministry year. And Father, thank you that because of your great love, with which you have loved us. You decided to do something for all of us, not because of us, but because of you. Jesus, it is that truth and it is your grace that has challenged and changed every single one of us. And Father, we want to continue to be a church and we want to continue to be a people that you work through and that you work in. And so, Father, I pray for us and for this new ministry year, I pray that this church and that we would be a people who worship you and who worship your Son, that we would always be a place of extraordinary grace and incredibly clear truth. Father, that you would continue to give to us the opportunities and the courage to help people to know that this is a place where they can belong. This is a place where they will be challenged and taught to believe, Jesus, in who you are and what it is that you've done for all of us. And that this will be a place where we are reliant on the Holy Spirit to shape us to become more and more like you, Jesus, each and every day. All of this, Jesus, we pray in your powerful and amazing name.